you can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers as well as lifelong fans of cinema that enjoy talking about other directors' work. And we're currently nearing the end of our first pass of the alphabet. We are indeed. We're very close to the end. We've only got two more shows to go after this one. And then we reset and start all over yes. again <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah let's um let's crack on um so uh this week's episode is uh w for which the wichkowskis indeed the wichkowskis who originally uh the wichkowski brothers <laughs> and then the wichkowski siblings and now the wichkowskis so uh there you go we're um we're we're, we're ticking the boxes in so much as we've got our our first transgender directors to be covered on the uh, on this podcast, which is uh, there you go, broad. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I, I didn't think we would go straight into that, but uh, I mean, my, my personal thoughts is it does it matter what gender somebody is as a director, just as you know, just as long as their work is good. I agree entirely. In fact, uh, yeah, part of the reason I said that was just because. You, you know, if you look back at the work uh, or the directors that we've covered so far, um, and again, it's it's largely because of, of of sort of when we grew up and what and the stuff we saw and was influenced by. But it has been, you know, fairly uh, male dominated um, throughout. But uh, I know you and I have talked about in in season two of this, you know. Uh, looking at some of the the, the the female directors out there, and uh, it's just interesting that when we got to uh, W, you know, um, we, we, we've gone this route. So it, it, it's mm. it's all good, and I agree with you. It, it matters not one bit. So yeah. I'm not trying to make an issue of it. I just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's the current news about them that uh, both of them are now women. When uh, originally it was the eldest brother who, um, who was went down the trans transgender route, and now the the younger brother's gone down that route as well, and um, and it's very rare that it happens in like one family that that siblings would go down that route. So I think from that point of view, that's kind of a, an amazing thing. But as it when it comes to filmmaking, 
you know, it doesn't matter a jot, really. No, absolutely not. And, um, you know, the, these these are very interesting filmmakers as well, uh, you know, who have been around for a while now um, and quite an interesting body of work, I would say. Well, definitely. I remember, actually, I did see uh, Bounds before I saw The Matrix. Um, I remember... I remember it was suggested to me when I was at Panico to uh, to watch this film because a lot of people had, had talked about it and it it's a you know it was very stylishly shot. I mean, just the camera angles and the things they did in the film was really well done. But then, of course, come the summer of '99, I was working in a cinema, and at that point we were looking forward to phantom menace <laughs> <laughs> and we had we had these two little films coming up beforehand we had the mummy and the matrix and uh you know you thought oh well these will be entertaining but it ain't gonna be star wars <laughs> and of course it turned out that those two films turned out to be far better than the phantom menace if anything the film we were looking forward to was a massive letdown and I don't think anybody was expecting um, the Matrix to to be that great. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I was actually at film school um, when the Matrix came out, so uh, you, you know, I, along with you know, uh, many many other people, filmmakers and, and the public alike, um, w- w- was pretty blown away with the. Uh, with, with with the with the first matrix film and um uh you, you know studied it and uh, it was one of those first films that i got on dvd back in the day um and uh yeah it it really was the talk of the talk of class uh the talk of the class and the talk of the you know filmmaking community that that i was involved with out there definitely so um yeah it was very good indeed <laughs> <laughs> And I agree, far, 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 far more of a su- surprise and far less, um, less disappointing than the Phantom Menace turned out to be. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, they, they've they've had a, a very sort of interesting filmography, you know, from that point onwards. You know, coming back and doing two more sequels, and then uh, doing Speed Racer, which you know, uh, for my book it's kind of like a, a live action uh cartoon i mean especially the the use of color in that film and then of course they then produced v for vendetta where they have a, another director come in but it was it very much of a style of the, the wachowskis i mean they certainly had their hands in on that film mm-hmm. i mean it's, it is i mean i've i've not seen the director of that work films other work so I, I can't tell if that is just solely his you know um you know take on things if that's what his directing style is but it but the style the cutting and also the idea of people being linked together uh is very much a wachowski thing so I don't know. It's kind of like that. Who really directed Poltergeist conversation? Was it Toby Hooper or was it Steven Spielberg? And you get that with, with V for Vendetta as well. Was it, um, what's the chap's name? 
Uh, I can't remember who directed it, actually. Was it? Um... Oh, James McTeague. Oh, McTeague, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, was it James McTeague or was it the Wachowskis? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, source material wise, it had come from the uh, the graphic novel by Alan Moore. And um, definitely uh, the Wachowskis have, uh, uh, have always been sort of hugely influenced and inspired by... Um, by graphic novel work, uh, you, you know, and that is apparent in a lot of their films and a lot of their um, output. Did you ever see um, Assassins, which is the film they wrote? Yes, I did. I mean, that's kind of what originally um, put them on the map. It's what sort of got them uh, the attention of Joel Silver, uh, who obviously later went on to to produce the Matrix films. And, um, uh, you, you know, that was... Well, directed by Richard Donner and starring uh, Stallone and Antonio Banderas, if, if memory serves. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And and Julianne Moore. And Julianne Moore. How could we forget yeah. Julianne Moore? Amazing. Yes. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I mean, I've not I'll be honest, I've not seen Assassins in a while. Um, I mean, at, at the time, I kind of enjoyed it to a point, but it, it did seem just kind of your, your, your sort of bog standard you know stallone action vehicle you know um but from the 90s yeah yeah yeah. but i mean you know you know as i've often mentioned on these podcasts a i'm a big fan of stallone anyway and um b you know i'm a big fan of richard donner as a director so uh so I'm, i'm sure it's got some merit but it's it's something i need to uh revisit but i know in terms of the actual story and i believe the initial screenplay um was by the wachowskis correct yeah, that's yeah. right. That's one I'll have to go back and uh, and and revisit at some point. I think. Indeed. Well, um, let's get into our picks then. So, um, Keith, what is your pick for movie heaven? Yeah, well, for for movie heaven, I did sort of go right back to the start. Um, you, you know, we've already sort of waxed lyrical slightly about the Matrix, um, but I didn't pick that for 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 various reasons, which which we'll come on to, but. Um, uh, I decided to go with Bound, which was indeed the uh, the, the, the first film that they um, not only wrote, but uh, directed uh, as a duo as well. Um, this was in 1996. Uh, it was produced by Dino De Laurentiis. And it was it was very much, in some respects, a opportunity for them to show that they could handle uh, directing a film um, you know, prior to them being able to make The Matrix. Um, And, you you know, a very, very good and stylish thriller it is too. It's kind of a crime thriller. It's it's very sort of film noir-esque. And it's it's one of those films as well that, uh, you know, stylistically, um, you know, really does show. I mean, they they worked together with cinematographer Bill Pope on this. That that also went on to do the uh, the, the the Matrix movies and and I guess other films of theirs. And um, you, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, we talked, we touched on on the, this whole notion of graphic novel uh, earlier, and apparently, um, Sin City was was used as a bit of a sort of graphic reference for this film. And when you watch it, the, the, the film itself uh, is kind of devoid of colours apart from the colour red. So in other words, it's, it's very monochromatic. It's very black and white and grey. 
um, in terms of its its design. And then obviously lots of red put in there, um, you, you know, to enhance things, which uh, for, for any people that know you know Frank Miller's work on Sin City it's it 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 follows a sort of very similar um visual aesthetic uh but essentially that the, the the film itself um it, it stars uh, Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon as uh basically Gina Gershon is a is an ex con that's been sort of 5 years in in jail and is working as a um painter and a plumber um uh, renovating a, a flat uh, or an apartment, as it would be in America, and um, uh, she meets uh, Jennifer Tilly, who who plays a uh, character called Violet, who is is the partner of um, uh, a character called uh, a mob guy called Caesar, who's played by uh, Joe Pantiolano. Is that correct? Pantilano, is that how you pronounce that? I never heard. I I I think you've you've pronounced it better than I have. Because, uh, <laughs> Joe Pantolino? Yeah, I don't know. Um but it, yeah. fr a frequent uh um uh, Wachowski collaborator anyway. <laughs> and um uh he basically he plays a a, a a mob boss. And one of one of the things that is quite I think quite genius about this film, um is essentially they they've got a movie here a very entertaining movie that that really takes place in just more or less two locations you've got sort of two apartments that are next to one another uh in an apartment block and you know no more than sort of half a dozen characters really in total in this film so it is quite a small film in terms of of its actual production but at the same time um, it is it is very, you know, visually stimulating and it's also uh, a very well written and very tight script. So I think in terms of doing the job to sort of to show them as competent filmmakers, um, this was a really good start for them. And as I said, that's that's kind of why I chose it as movie heaven is I, I, I do think it's an incredibly good film. Um, basically, the, the, the film deals with uh, there's an attraction between uh, Gina Gershon and, and Jennifer Tilly's characters right from the start. And, um, you, you know, interestingly, uh, even though, you know, it does turn into this lesbian relationship, it kind of doesn't make a big deal of that, which, which, which I think is quite, you know, for, for when this was made in the sort of mid nineties, this is kind of a, kind of a refreshing thing that it didn't really make an issue about it. It was just there as if, it, as if it was a, male and female protagonist you know it just happened to be two women in this particular story and um as i said they they they, they have this attraction which which leads into uh you, you know a love affair between them um but by the same by the same token uh the world that's uh violet that's jennifer tilly's character is 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 sort of trapped in with 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 caesar is very much the whole mafia the mob you, you, you know and all of the goings on that happens with that um you know the violence the money uh you know the money laundering things of that nature and she basically wants a way out and is looking for a way out and between them they come up with sort of the perfect plan and that's why this is such a good thriller um to you know get away with money um that that 
that uh, Caesar was laundering and sort of escape from him for good and get away and get away with it. And it is very, uh, you know, the film's very tense. Um, it's very violent in places. Uh, as I said, there is a, a big use of this this red colour, um, obviously the colour of blood, but um, uh, also the colour of passion, interestingly. And um, uh, yeah, I, I just think that this this film really, really works on, on so many levels. Um, you know, it's a really good story. Uh, there's lots of twists and turns in the plot. It's very well written. It's very well paced. But it's also, it is beautifully shot. Um, it does look like something, you, you know, the, the, the camera, not only have we got this wonderful use of colour and use of space, bearing in mind, as I said, it's quite claustrophobic in, in so much as it only really takes place in a, in a couple of apartments. But you've got they've thought about everything from the production design to the clothing, but also from the use of camera. I mean, the the editing between scenes, the movement of the camera, the placement of the camera, all of this has been really well thought through. And you could tell just by seeing this that these guys guys at the time um, could could really un really knew their craft and really understood their craft and understood the um, the, the the language of filmmaking. So uh, so so no, I thoroughly enjoyed this. It was really good to go back and um, and revisit it. For me, um, I hadn't seen it in, in a long while. I I saw it back. I think must have been about ninety eight, ninety nine, mm -hmm. and. Uh, so it was it's I hadn't watched it for a long while and it was it was really refreshing to see. And one of the reasons why, um, you know, it's referred to as a noir is the fact that you do you, you have this central relationship between Violet and Corky. And, but the thing is, you're not quite sure if Violet is a femme fatale or not, that if she's trying to use Corky as a way out and possibly screw her over. So you, you have that tension going throughout the whole film, which I think is it's 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 very cleverly done because it's there's this sort of certain level that they portray, especially Jennifer Tilly's character, where you, you're not quite sure if you can trust her or not. But yet it's never really it's never spoken about. You don't have somebody going, well, I don't know if I can trust you. It's it's sort of there and you have that feeling. And I think it's because. Um, it keeps cutting back to Corky being tied up in a in a wardrobe. That's right, which is which is what they they start the film on. So again, mm. in terms of in terms of the structure of this film, uh, it works very nicely because they 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 set this tension up at the beginning and um, they they refer back to it as a motif throughout the uh, throughout the plot throughout the storytelling. So you you know that ultimately Corky's going to end up in that wardrobe tied up and but you don't know what the circumstances are and you don't know what point in the story it is and you know enough time had gone by so i didn't i couldn't remember how, where that you know where that came in the story i wasn't i so i was sort of wrapped up in it again sort of not knowing if it really was um you know if violet had really screwed her over or not and uh you know uh spoilers she doesn't <laughs> their their plan to, to get the money is that they they make it out that the son of this mob boss is the one who did it and 
because uh, Joe Pantalona's character Caesar uh, hates him, they don't get on. They fear that they feel that he's he's either not going to do anything or he's going to go on the run because he ain't going to touch like the the mob boss's son for sake of, you know for because if he does there'd be a lot of repercussions. But of course that's not how it works because Caesar's not exactly um, you know hundred percent. He's you know he 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 goes off the rails. And he does in a massive way. And he plays it very well. And, and yeah. I have to say, he, he plays it very well. I mean, it's, you know, there's not, there's not a duff performance in this. Um, you know, the acting's of a good standard as well. Um, interestingly as well, and, and I think this always, you know, whenever you're creating something, it's always important to sort of draw from, draw from what's in in your own life and what's personal. And, and apparently, um, uh, the Wachowskis, when they when they sort of first moved to to Hollywood, and um, you, you know were trying to sort of get jobs uh, in the film industry as writers and, and potentially directors at the time, they had a side job as, as painters and decorators renovating apartments. So I think the fact that they kind of made their lead character in this um, have that as a job and 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 you, you know which then led to the sort of plot device of it was was you know was was very very uh, clever of them to do that um and the, the thing is i mean you know when i've taught film studies in the past i've kind of always harped on and sort of drove drove my students mad about <laughs> um you know planning and and the fact that uh you know particularly when you when you're dealing with little time and little money how you can't suddenly start having a committee on set and being creative on set you've really got to do a lot of that work in the pre-production and um you you know th this film is is a prime example of of you know two filmmakers that went into this absolutely prepared having discussed this with their cinematographer and their editor and 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 you, you know having having sort of got everything in place because um when you see the shots and the way this is edited together and executed, um, you, you, you know, every, everything that happens with that camera is is showing you the world and, you know, driving the story and 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 informing character and, and, and you know, all of those good things that good cinema should do. Uh, but, you know, also in a very entertaining and, and, and stylized fashion as well. So, um you know, I really, uh, I really do applaud them on this because this this film was made for a fairly modest budget, from from what I can understand. Um, and obviously, this then got them, in terms of the cinematographer, the editor, and and their music composer Don Davis. You know, this this was kind of the creative team that later went on to do the larger projects like the Matrix uh, trilogy, etc. With them, so. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just think, you, you know, if anybody's listening to this that hasn't uh, seen this film, I highly recommend it. It's one of their shorter films. This this comes in at uh, one hour, 40 minutes. Um, but, <laughs> yes. But, 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 you know, it, 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 it's it's a it's a good one hour, 40 minutes. It, 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 the story drives along. Uh, it keeps you interesting. Uh, sorry, interested. It, it, it's just it's just really well done. So um, it was no. When, when we said that we were going to do these guys, it was no, um, 
you, you know, big problem for me to come up with what I was going to choose as movie heaven, other than, you, you know, the, the obvious choice, which would probably be the Matrix. But um, uh, yeah, um, you, you know, what, what, what a good start to an interesting career. And um, yeah, brilliant stuff. So check it out. <laughs> oh, certainly. And I ha I have to say, I mean, I applaud them for um, keeping with the people who, you know, worked with them on their first project, because at the end of the day, um, especially if they're ex experienced, that, you know, to take a chance on two unproven directors is, you know, it is, it's a, it is a roll of the dice. And the fact that they appreciated that and got them on board to do their, you know, bigger budgeted films to, you know, bring them along is, is great because, um, you know, some directors in the past have, um, you know, they, as soon as they get a bigger budget, they just want a, a better team. Mm -hmm. You know, they want somebody more experienced or somebody with lots and lots of credits. So, you know, I, I applaud them for that. I mean, just, you know, but also I also appreciate the fact that uh, when you work with the same people, uh, you know each other very well so that you, you know, you don't have to explain so much. There's a, a, a shorthand so that, you know, getting the, the films made, you know, you don't have to overly explain everything that you're doing. No, absolutely. And I'm, you know, I think we've touched on this uh, before on other podcasts, but I'm always, I'm always kind of really fascinated and intrigued by these directing duos, you know, which usually mm. do tend to be siblings in most cases, but um you, you, you know, in, in this one, you know, you kind of wonder whether, you know, one of them is more sort of focused towards uh, camera and editing and the other one's more focused towards uh, working with the actors or whatever. But um, for, from from what I've managed to sort of find out, um, you know, these, these guys don't seem to interview that often. Um, no, they don't. Uh, you know, they're very private, uh, it would seem. And, and uh yeah, it's 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 always it's always a difficult one to uh, sort of know how they play it. I remember, you know, same thing with the with the Cohen brothers. They 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 tend not to sort of give too much away about the way they work. But when you look at their how impressive their body is, of work is, you know, they're clearly doing something right, and and something's working in sync really well with these guys. So, uh, you know, I I feel the same about um about these guys as well. That. Uh, uh, you, you, you know, this this was definitely I mean, you know, they, they got their foot in the door through writing, obviously, as we were saying, with the with selling the script for assassins. But, um, you, you know, this this really proved that what they what they knew and where their talent lied went just beyond the writing and, and into the actual, um, you, you know, imagining and, and conceiving uh, the, the, the piece. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I've got nothing but good things to say about this film. It's it's a really interesting uh, piece of work. And, and apparently, initially, um, before Gina Gershon got involved, uh, Jennifer Tilly was originally going to play the Corky character, apparently. And they had a bit of a, uh, once they did a sort of chemistry read with um, Gina Gershon, it was, it was decided to sort of flip those roles and switch those roles, which... Uh, which, which you know, again, I always find that kind of interesting in terms of the creative yeah. process. Well, it works out for the best because um, it's weird to think of Jennifer Tilly in the other role. Mm. 
I don't think she 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 pulls off you know her role very well. No, absolutely. So um, as I said, it's 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 an unusual um, sort of crime thriller, uh, but it you know it does work very well. And uh, for anyone who's sort of interested in you know, which I presume most people who listen to this podcast are interested in filmmaking. I think it's, you know, quite a good, uh, when, when you do watch it, um, you know, for like a second time and you, you pay more attention to the, the, the use of camera and editing and things of that nature in this film, it's, uh, it really works quite nicely. And it just shows you that, uh, a lot can be done sometimes, you know, even if you don't have a massive budget and the, the schedule of this film, I mean, apparently I think the, the whole thing was done in, in, in like 25 days or something. So uh, that just goes to show you it's, it's, you, you know, um, you can be creative and, and if you planned ahead of time, you can, you can produce something that looks fantastic. So, so yeah. Well, um, moving on to my pick for movie heaven. Um, I've picked uh, cloud Atlas from uh, 2012 now um i didn't get a chance to see this film when it came out um just because the the press for it was was kind of very negative i i remember that they were always going on about how you know it's a mess and you know you've got all these actors and they're playing all these you know these different parts and it's oh it's just it's just an awful mess and and so i sort of stayed away from it for a while and then one day i sort of saw it for sale on dvd and i thought oh, i'll give this a go and um and so i sat down and watched it and um i absolutely love this film i think it's i i think personally i think it's a masterpiece and i don't normally say stuff like that but it is a masterpiece yeah and and the fact that not only is it the Wachowskis, but you've also got Tom Tyker as well uh, directing. So you have three directors. Absolutely. I mean, I have to say, when you picked it, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, really? Okay. Because I did see it when it when it first came out at the cinema. And um, I must admit, I went to, I'd been working all day and uh, I went to a fairly late screening of this and it is quite a long film i mean it's what just shy of three hours i think well the actual screen time is two hours 40 minutes right, right. but then when you add all the the, the uh, credits at the end it, it it's more like two hours 50 minutes yeah yeah well i i mean i picked it up on on blu-ray for um for for, for the prep for this podcast and i have to say um yeah i had a, a completely refreshed uh view on the whole thing and enjoyed it thoroughly and yes um saw uh yeah saw things in it that i really hadn't picked up the first time around so um yeah it's a very uh you know it's a very complex and well put together uh film um so so yeah i I thoroughly enjoyed it more more than i thought i was going to that make made sense when you first picked it i thought oh really okay well let's let's have another go (laughs) and i went into it with an open mind and um uh yeah i i i you know i found new appreciation for this in watching it again so well done for picking it (laughs) well thank you i'm glad i'm glad you enjoyed 
I mean, no, uh, I was all prepared for, you know, if if, the, if an argument was going to break out. Yeah, I guess for the listeners, it's, it's probably more interesting sometimes if it does. But um, yeah, <laughs> but no, I, uh, I, I thought it was um, a very well structured, you, you know, and complex um, piece of work and, uh, you, you know, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, but yes, but, and what a. What a massive, um, what a massive undertaking as well. Because my understanding of this was, although Warner Brothers actually distributed it, the actual film itself, in terms of its production, was was largely an independent production. Is is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. It's actually um, listed as the uh, one of the biggest budget independent films ever made up to this point. Wow! But no, it was it was good that you know warner brothers picked it up to distribute it because um it could have been well i i think it wouldn't have it wouldn't have like you know died a death but it certainly may not have been seen by as many people as it did mm-hmm. so the the film is based on the the novel by uh david mitchell and it was one of those novels that people said it was unfilmable <laughs> because in the novel it's six stories and what happens structural wise is that you follow one story up to the halfway point and then it goes to another story and then it gets to the halfway point and it goes to another story and then it sort of when you get to the sixth story it tells it completely and then it works its way back to that original story so as a reader you're sort of trying to you know so you followed the story for a bit and then you jump into this other story and this other story. And then as you're working your way back, you have to try and remember what had happened before. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like a sort of perfect bell curve, isn't it, in terms of the uh, in terms of the storytelling, you know, in the fact that it, it does it, it goes it goes to that middle point and then and then back back on itself again. But yeah. uh, well, I mean, it's kind of thematic for the actual piece as well, isn't it? Because you, you're dealing with um, transcripts throughout those different time periods that are only half finished. So, uh, yeah, it kind of uh, kind of works nicely sort of on the thematic level as well, you know? <laughs> when it came to the film, um, they decided to have the six storylines playing sort of, you know, so you would dip from one storyline to another to another as you know as the as the different stories went along and it works very well from the point of view that um you're dealing with characters who um you know they because this film is all about um oh god help me here oh what's the word what reincarnation yes it's all about reincarnation and so these characters keep getting re- reincarnated in these different time periods so you start off in the 18th century and then you go to the 1970s and then you have a story that takes place uh in 2012 and then you have a story that sets um oh sorry i missed i've missed one i've, I've missed the story that's sort of set uh just pre-world war ii and then you've got one that's in the future and then you've got another one that uh, is, you know, in the far flung future. And so you have these sort of so you have the first story takes place mostly on a ship. The second story is about a composer 
who's uh, homosexual and he's trying to get this um, uh, the Cloud Atlas set text um, he's you know to write it and uh, using this composer to get it out there in the world and then you have the uh, the story about a reporter who's trying to um, uncover a conspiracy that's taking place in nuclear power and then you have you know the the story about the um, publisher whose uh, client uh, who's this like uh, this Irish gypsy criminal um he's written his um his memoirs and of course through this incident where a um a reviewer gets uh thrown out a window uh the cells go through the roof but of course he doesn't have the money to pay off you know um this crook's partners and so he goes into you know goes into hiding uh at an old people's home and i have to say that that story is is actually quite funny. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this, this yeah. is one of the things, I mean, yes, this is a very nicely constructed. Yeah. Um, yeah but I mean, let me, let me just, sorry. let me just flesh out the, uh, the other parts and you can jump in. So then you have, um, then you set, you know, you get the story. It's set in the future, which is set in Neo soul about, um, about these, um, they're called fabricants. So they're like replicants, you know, <laughs> they're, they're created to be, uh, to they work at like fast food restaurants so everything there is artificial including you know the people who serve you and they're they're little more than slaves and one of them is rescued by these rebels um to sort of try and you know get that truth the, this truth out that uh, all is not what it seems and then finally you have what's called after the fall where it's very it's gone back to kind of Stone Age kind of times where there it's in this valley where people are very, you know, uh, it, you know, living off the land. And you also have these sort of cannibals sort of raging around the, um, the, the woods and stuff. So you have these six different kinds of stories, you know, ranging from a, you know, historical Moby Dick kind of story to, um, you know, a drama and then into a comedy and then into sci-fi and then into like, you know, Mad Max realm. So you have these different sort of genres and stories playing together and it just works so well. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I agree entirely. I mean, that's that's one of the it's one of the beauties of this um, is is the fact that you do get the the different genres in there. And like, like you said, the, the sort of middle bit with the. Uh, um you, you know with uh um uh jim broadbent in the old people's home you know is is quite yeah. sort of uh <laughs> you know comedic um but uh you, you know you've also kind of got the, the 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 themes running through this and and you know you mentioned slavery and and really slavery to a certain extent is a, is a theme that runs through all of the stories as well um you, you know, which, which, which again, apart from the, the, um, the whole reincarnation side of things, um, sort of, sort of holds those stories together very well. And I, I mean, again, this, this, this is in terms of being beautifully constructed, um, when you look at the, the, the sort of editing and, and, and how these, these different times and different scenes merge into one another, um, 
you know, that's incredibly well thought through as well. And, and amazing when you think that essentially you did have, you know, sort of three directors and, and, and two units working on this uh, mm. at, at any one time. And, uh, you, you know, from, from a, uh, you, you know, you have quite a small ensemble, but um, it's, it really is an actor's dream, <laughs> you know, you know yeah. for, for this ensemble of, you know, largely uh, Oscar winning actors that you've got in there or award winning actors, you know, are getting to play, um, you, you, you know, different, different, uh, different races, uh, different eth- ethnicities and, and even different sexes, <laughs> which, which is quite interesting. Um, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny how, um, and it's, and sometimes you don't realize they're, they're the same actors, um, so each each actor has a part to play in each one of the storylines. And in in one of the storylines they may be one of the main players, and in another storyline they may they may just be a, like a face in the crowd. And that's that's also a nice thing. So you don't have like one actor who is, you know, he, he having the whole thing on his shoulders. Each actor has their moment to shine in each one of these storylines. And it's and it is a, it's this great game of you know of of saying which actor is that playing and it's it's it's, it's amazing sometimes when you think oh bloody hell that was that actor because mm-hmm. they show you them at the on the end credits at the end the the parts that they played yeah and some of them you wouldn't even know would you it's like... I know well <laughs> the Ben Whishaw playing uh, Georgette which is the um, oh the, the the wife of um of the brother to timothy cavendish which is the jim broadbank character played by um hugh grant <laughs> hugh grant yeah. looking very much like the lead singer of the who <laughs> yes yes <laughs> when you first see him and he's with his curly blonde hair and his glasses he, he does look like the lead singer of the who. <laughs> but yeah uh but the uh, the lovely thing as well, though, is that um, those the the character choices as well that they play also echo the characters that they've played in other stories. So um, the whole thing that with uh, Ben Whishaw's playing Robert Frobisher, who's the composer, he sort of tries it on with Jim Broadbent's character, and and so it's funny to think that he tries it on with him, and yet in the you know the Timothy Cavendish story, Jim Broadbent's the one who tried it on with Ben Whishaw <laughs> uh, as as the wife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you you have that kind of thing, and I too uh, uh, there's there's a wonderful bit of um, editing storytelling where so in the the Neo Soul story you have this love story between um, the fabricants called Somi and you and oh what's the other guy's name oh uh, Chang played by Jim Sturgis and there's this wonderful love story and of course there's a spoiler but you know Jim Sturgis dies but then it cuts to um well it, it cuts to I'm thinking about the bit where she gets executed at the end. That it's the whole plan was that she was going to die, become a martyr, and um, and when she dies, it then cuts to the opening story where you see uh, Jim Sturgis's character goes through the door and sees his wife, who of course is the same actress who's played 
uh, Somi in the future. It's wonderful because it, you know, on an emotional point of view, it works so well that even though this one storyline ended badly, this other storyline with these two cats is, you know, goes on and that, you know, that's, it's just, it, it, it's just great on the fact that all these sort of different connections between all the different timelines. So you have, so each story affects each other. So with the opening story, you have uh, Ben Wishaw's character in the second story reading the, um, the diary of the main character. Then, well, a, a journal of his voyage. And of course, but he doesn't know how it finishes because half the book's missing. Then um, his story connects to the other stories because he writes this piece of music that, you know, is used throughout the different stories. They keep appearing. I, uh, in the 1970s, it's a record. Uh, in the future, it's um, this. It's like a, an anthem or a song that the uh, fabricants sing when their time of service is over. And uh, and then with um, and of course the the lover of um, Ben Wishaw's character appears in the seventies one as well as a character as an older character. And his letters that he wrote to to him, um, you know, have been read by the character played by Halle Berry. And so it figures into that story. And then and then, of course, the whole uh, Neo soul, you have the character of um, Son Mi, who in the final, you know, in the sixth story is, you know, is a god to these people. Because her teachings have gone on after her death. And it is about how, you know, either good or bad deeds that are done in the past echo all the way to the future. And it's just, I mean, it's from a from a writing point, it's amazing that it is you can actually follow it. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I completely agree. I mean, it, it works. Um I mean, you could kind of tell, I guess, that this was was like a sort of passion piece for these guys. Mm. Uh, I mean, I believe, I believe what happened was the um, the, the the novel was actually, um, I believe, when when Natalie Portman was working on uh, uh, V for Vendetta, she was reading the the, the novel uh, of Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell, and um, she gave it to uh, Lana Wachowski, who who mm. then kind of read it and thought, "Oh, this is amazing! You know, this would make a great film." And and you, you know, they, they've obviously they obviously got Tom Tyker and whatever avail, uh, involved. But um, the the you know everything you're saying about how it all links in is 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 absolutely true and absolutely you know really well. Uh, put together and conceived but one of the other things is that the piece of music i think is actually mm. a beautifully written piece of music as well and oh the uh cloud atlas set text. yeah yeah it's yeah it's it's really it's really is great piece yeah of music. which is you know and, and uh, as you said very imaginatively used in the fact that it is actually used in every period but in a different way and um again linking it all together you know all the periods apart from the first one from when it wasn't written. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But um But it's 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 like a character in its own sense. That it, it is something that you know is used throughout. I I can understand why 
people didn't like this so much when it came out because it is a lot to take in. Yeah, it's not a passive watch, that's for sure. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. But but yeah, I I I always get sucked in every time I see it, and and you know, even though it's sort of near three hours, I it just flies by. Now I have to agree with you. Now I've I've watched it again. I mean, I think yeah. the first time I watched it at the cinema, as I said, I. I I didn't really sort of appreciate it for what it was. Um, I, but, you, you know, having sort of watched it and got sucked into it and given it my full attention. Um, yeah, um, it, it is beautifully constructed. Absolutely. <laughs> it's one of those films that, you know, when they say it's a film that has everything. It it, it does because, you know, it makes you cry. It makes you laugh. You know, it's exciting. Um, it makes you think. And it's just it's just this wonderful it, it just does seem to have all these different things going. And, you know, I, it's you know, it's it, it's up there in like my top hundred films, you know. Yeah. And I mean, it is I a love story as well throughout, which is mm. which is the other yeah. the other uh, universal thing that links it all. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I heartily agree with you. I think it's uh, I think it's 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 very well very well put together very well conceived i enjoyed watching it um this time and uh it is one that you know there are so many if you like easter eggs in this film that you could go back and probably watch it about mm. 30 times yeah. and spot something different each time <laughs> I, I i tell you what there's one easter egg in there that i think a lot of people miss and it's the fact that um so um throughout the film you see some my uh, in an interrogation room being interviewed um by uh i'm trying to think what the character's name is but he's it's it's um he's like a i think he's called the archivist and um and so in the you know in the 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 final section of the film the final final timeline in you know after the fall they they have this religion and they have like kind of like bibles and the thing is it's if you look carefully, it actually says it's written by the archivist. So this guy actually had taken what she had said to him and put it into like text for other people to read. And I thought that was, I thought, you know, um, I saw that in like one of the um, EPKs that come on the disc. And I thought, wow, <laughs> I never, I never saw that before. Yeah, well, I mean, it but even, it makes sense. It even drills down as far as the actual metal of the cover is made from the collars that the the the, the, the uh, slaves in the future are wearing and uh the i believe the writing itself is woven from the strands of hair or something they've really gone into that level of micro detail haven't they <laughs> yeah but it's you know in the film it's like it really is like a close-up that you blink and you miss oh, it oh definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely but I, I have to say as well, the other thing I think that works really well character-wise is that each character, um, each actor's characters go on like a journey. So if you take Tom Hanks' character, his, you know, the doctor he plays in the beginning, he's a bad man. But yet as the story goes along for each of these characters, he does get to a point where he changes the path he's on. Because if uh with old um hugh grant 
he's just evil throughout the whole damn thing, isn't he? He's just from beginning to end, he's just a bad man. Yeah. And his and his levels of badness just get you know worse and worse as we go along. <laughs> Throat cutting cannibal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, as I say, with uh, with Tom Hanks' character, he's his doctor character in some way redeemed by the end by the final character of that he plays in the the far flung future and so i mean it's just it's just nice things like that and you, you do kind of see that sort of progression between the characters i mean i have to say hugo weaving as <laughs> um kind of like a nurse ratchet <laughs> character was amazing yes yes there you go <laughs> i mean that's just Worth the price of admission alone. <laughs> in drag and in a fat suit. <laughs> I, I tell you what, the, the Wachowskis have really done well by Hugo Weaving. I mean, he's more or less been in all the, all his films since The Matrix. Yes. It, it is a, it's great that he can, he can play sort of, you know, he can play either evil or good. But he just, you do kind of get the feeling he relishes playing evil. And he certainly does with the, his version of Nurse Ratchet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, again, anyone listening, check this out. Um, you know, if you think we're crazy or whatever, uh, you, you know, honestly, check it out. It, 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 it's well worth your time. Um, mm. uh, and, 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 you know, you, look, looking at the... The pure filmmaking and storytelling uh, that went into this, um, you know, you know, it is a wonderfully complex film and production on on all levels. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it really works and well done because, as I said, I when you picked it, I was like, oh, I don't know, uh, and um, no, I I completely wasn't in tune. That when I when I saw this on the big screen, sadly, I wasn't. I obviously wasn't in the right place for it at the time. I have to say, for such a, you feel like it's a film you should have watched on the big screen. But I think I think it's a very personal film. And I think I think the reason why I connected so quickly with it is the fact that I saw it by myself and I saw it, you know, at home. And I think also the fact is it's not a film that I share with people either. It's something that I sit down and watch by myself because I don't know. I think I might be afraid that if I start showing it to people, they'll be going, ah, no, that's shit, isn't it? You know, it's just a lot of people doing dress up. Oh, this is fucking awful. Yeah. Well, certainly a lot of people like to rag on yeah. it. That's for sure. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard this, um, this fairly highly criticized by, um, you know, you know, part of the, if you like the filmmaking community that I know a lot of people really kind of rag on this and having, as I said, having rewatched it um, and looking at the, 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 the layer of detail in this, um, you, you know, probably undeservedly so. And, uh, and, and obviously, yeah. and obviously it's not just the Wachowskis that, that need the credit for this. Of, of course, you know, Tom Tyker did his part as well. And, a great director yeah. in his own right. I mean, Run, Run, Lola, Run is a is a fantastic film. Um, again, you know, really enjoyed that one. So, uh, yeah, you know, he's he's a competent filmmaker as well. So, uh, no, he's much better than a competent filmmaker. It's just he's not had he's not made much. No. I I mean, this is the thing. Um, I mean, all the advertising. You got the directors of The Matrix 
and Run Lola Run. And I mean, Run Lola Run came out in the 90s. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to have a look now, but I think... He's done a few things. I He's done a few things. I Yeah, I, I, I'll perfume. Which is obviously Perfume's where great. he kind yeah. of uh, met Ben Whishaw, who features in this film as well. So, yeah. Um, I wasn't keen on the international, though, I have to say. Right, yeah. No, I, I, I did see the international, yeah. But, I mean, there's a massive gap between Run, Lola, Run and his sort of his other films. So, you know, he hasn't done much. Well, you know, the German yeah. film industry maybe is not, not that not that easy, I guess. <laughs> possibly, possibly. <laughs> but uh, before we move on, I have to ask, uh, do you believe in reincarnation? Oh, Do you God. believe that you've been here before? That's a big. That's a big question for for this podcast, isn't it? And you know, you know how good I am at being on the spot, Simon. You know, every time you put me on the spot, I always took talk around actually ever giving an answer to anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, Come on. Well, here's a simple question: Do you believe in re- reincarnation or yeah. not? Yes or yeah, no? Well, I mean, there, there, there's there's got to be some meaning to all of this, hasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be some meaning to all this nonsense, but uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it uh, yeah, particularly particularly the way it's um, the, the the way it's uh, dramatized in this film, um, you, you know, shows it as a progressive and as a good thing. So um, so one can one can only hope. But yeah, I, I like to think there's definitely something. I like to think that this isn't the only crack I've got at life. Let's just put it that way, you know. <laughs> But hey, this one's not over yet, damn it! <laughs> no, no, but but if what if the um, Tibetans are right and you come come back as a uh, animal? Well, there you go. Hey, so there there, there are those who argue I am anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what kind oh, of okay. animal but, would I like to be? There's a question. Exactly, yeah. that's what I'm going to ask you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, top of the food chain. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Uh, I'm going to put it back on you. What about you? Oh, what would I come back as? I come back as a lion. Do you believe in it or not? Oh, do I believe in uh, re- reincarnation? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's times in my life where you get a sense of deja vu that you've been somewhere before. Always, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, we don't, we can't remember it properly. So it's 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 one of those things where it's kind of like you don't know, really. I feel like we're entering the matrix here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, okay, well, I mean, it is kind of a theme that the, the Wachowskis have hit on before with the matrix because of you know, of Neo's character being you know reincarnation of of the one before you know because uh morpheus does talk about a man who could uh, manipulate the matrix to any way he wanted and then you know so yeah i mean it's i mean it's such a it's a tough one isn't it because at the end of the day we we really don't know and we we all like to think that when we die, there is something else. Like, as it says in the film, that death is only a doorway. Mm. Maybe maybe this is named movie heaven, movie hell for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I there's, a, there's an interesting theory 
about um you know that time is like an elastic band and that it's that at some point it's going to um bounce back it's going to reach to it's reach such a point that it's going to i mean between time and space it's going to reach such a point that it's going to go backwards so when you hear things like you know like they say in the bible about um you know being risen from the dead and stuff we imagine if time was going backwards that would be true that you would rise from the dead that you would live again so yeah wow i mean i mean who knows you know maybe we get to live this life again but uh but instead of uh you know dying we wake up and we just get younger that would be nice <laughs> wow well, we, we, we've we've gone deep. We've gone deep with this <laughs> podcast. Wow. <laughs> We're supposed to be talking about movies. No, I'm just kidding. That's all good. Well, we'll get back to the movie talk after these messages. <laughs> so, you're making a film. Horror film. Meta horror film. A horror film about horror film. Horror film about cinema. And why would you do that? Life is so beautiful. You just have something in your eye. I thought you said you wanted to do something different. Why do the same thing that everyone else is doing? It drives me mad. They all have opinion on everything. Nobody listens to me. Nobody tries to understand anything. Just too much. I found out recently that I had a, a syndrome when I was younger. When I try to go to sleep, the whole world will change. Like everything will go too quick, too slow, or too big, too small. I could control it. Benny Loves Killing. Available now on Vimeo and IndieFlix. And if they don't go for it, you'll kill them all. Do you like science fiction and fantasy? Do you like things to be rigorously, or rather obsessively, alphabetized? Then do we have the show for you. The A to Z of SFF takes a wry, lightly fictionalized approach the compulsive breaking over of pop culture artifacts that make up so much of today's podcastosphere. We cover everything from RNA aardvark to Zardoz and all points in between. Zardoz might be a welcoming mind. We've been at this for a year and we haven't finished the A's yet. The A to Z of SFF, a podcast of epic triviality. Two men, 26 letters, one universe. Search for us on iTunes or your favourite podcast app as the A to Z of SFF. Or check out our website, the A to Z of SFF.com. What's the matter, Jane? It's kind of hard to explain. I can't put my finger on it, but... There's definitely something wrong. Jane? I suppose we can't expect her to get over it just like that. We'll always be past this. It's so, so bright. Why is it so bright in here? It's just the dawn, Jane. 
you have to take her to the hospital. Have her placed under constant watch. Well, that much I know, but who done it? You don't even try and stop me. You know I'm going to harm you, yet you do nothing. What about that wonderful husband of yours? Oh, Martin. I love him. Well, someone has to die. Blood and Roses. Available now on Amazon.com. On DVD and video on demand. Well, I hope that's cleared your palate now. We've just wow. we've heard these adverts. So we'll, we'll get back to the movie talk now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, Keith. Uh, if there was any film that you could unwatch, what would it be? Uh, <laughs> well, I'll put it, put it this way: is, is if we, if we, if as if we haven't already got a headache uh, talking about <laughs> reincarnation and the meaning of life. Um, yeah, I mean, okay, we've 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 waxed lyrical about the Wachowskis uh, on this so far, but um, but it's not all good, is it? It's not all good. This this is the fi- there is the one thing about the, the Wachowskis, and I say it here: when they're good, they're great, and when they're bad, they are fucking awful. Yeah, yeah, it's not all good. Um, no. So what I have picked for movie how um, is actually the matrix revolutions which is the third and final film in the in the matrix trilogy um i've already said at the beginning of the podcast as my sort of caveat that um i am a major fan of the uh of the first matrix film thought it was absolutely yep. brilliant and works on so many yep. levels and almost deserves its own podcast just just to talk about that however um i did not feel this way about the sequels particularly uh the third film in in, in third installment in the series um by the time these came out in 2003 and they were obviously released sort of six months apart from one another um i was now back in the uk uh living in london and i uh i remember maybe the reason that the second film i'm a little fonder of is because because my my memory of that was um, I went to a BAFTA screening of it at the IMAX in London, and it was actually oh, okay. introduced by Joel Silver. So, um, oh, right. you know, it was a bit of an event. It was a bit of an event, that film. I just want to say, um, even though, I, I mean, I saw this on video. I didn't actually go to the cinema. And um, and so I didn't have Joel Silver introduce it. But I... I I, I find that the second one kind of is better of the two, but what a pale imitation when it comes to the first one. I agree. Really, really dropped the ball. And and the thing was, so, you know, they when The Matrix came out and was such a big hit, you know, they came out and said, well, this is part of a trilogy. We've got two more films coming. And you're going, two more films? I can't wait to see this. I mean, the promise at the end of the first one was gonna be fucking amazing and then they uh... well basically what what i mean it seems to me that that they ended up i mean again the first one although it had a budget um 
it was, uh, you know, obviously wasn't as big a budget as the two sequels. And what it seemed to me was that they ended up with so much money and obviously so much time because they made these two sequels over sort of a six year period or whatever it was. Sorry, did you say six years? Uh, yeah, it was 99 to oh, four years then, four years. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but, you, you, you know, uh, just seemed that suddenly the whole the the themes of it and and the the amount of characters and everything got so vastly expanded that um that for me you, you know it, it turned into a visual fest and i cared less about the actual plot and character aspect whereas i think the the first film was a wonderful balance uh, of all of that and and obviously you know it, it broke a lot of sort of um um uh, filmmaking boundaries. I mean, I mean, let, first of all, you know, we, we, we've given them a lot of praise, but let's, let's just, let's just get a couple of facts about these guys down. Okay. Um, they do tend to take a lot of credit for things that they weren't necessarily the, 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 the first to come up with. Okay. Um, right. You, you know, from a visual point of view, um, at, you know, from, from, the, the the fight scenes and and the way those fight scenes are photographed uh, although very incredibly well done you know this is nothing that that hong kong cinema hadn't been doing for some time before them anyway okay so they they often get a lot of credit for sort of revolutionizing uh for, for use of a better word here um you, you, you know the way the way filmmaking happens and the way films are shot and the way films look um you know that's that's not strictly true i mean obviously the yes they brought it to the mainstream and they brought it in a very entertaining way to the to, to the mainstream but you know a lot of this stuff had been done before so they they were borrowing to a certain extent well yeah i mean all right i i i, I see your point and the thing is yes what they did was they took they took wire work they took anime and they took, you know, Hong Kong, you know, John Woo type films and they put them all together and they, they put it out as this new package called The Matrix. And so if you were, you know, familiar with any of them, of course, you'd seen all that stuff. But it was done in such a. It was such it was done in such an entertaining way. Oh, it was. Way. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not going to yeah. take that away from yeah. them. No, absolutely. And, and let's be honest, um, films and television and the way they looked following the, the, the first Matrix, you know, everybody kind of jumped on this bandwagon and we had bullet time and, you know, all of that yeah. sort of thing. Like, you know, yeah. you know, I'm a big fan of the TV show Smallville and, and definitely the way they tried to show sort of Clark Kent's powers in that show was to adopt some of these um you know you know some of these visual elements that uh, that had been established in in the matrix so no i'm not i'm not taking anything away from them on that on that certainly uh the other yeah. thing is in terms of thematics and 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 storytelling i mean it, it does make me laugh that there are loads of um uh philosophical and theological um <laughs> essays and 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 you, you know things done into this um you, you you know with with comparisons from from everything from uh you know plato to, to nietzsche um etc but i mean th this is nothing that that the likes of you know philip k dick and william gibson and 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 uh, you know hadn't 
hadn't already been sort of doing with with sci-fi and the whole sort of cyberpunk um yeah. movement and and in terms of and in terms of basic storyline of the matrix you know when you, when you start sort of stripping away all of the um all of the sort of mythology and 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 you know the the, the hero's journey uh, which obviously Lucas borrowed from that when he was doing Star Wars, etc. But when you look at sort of the basic premise, you know, the, the, the sort of machines taking over mankind, then, you know, that's obviously resonates in things like the Terminator and Battlestar Galactica and, and you know, loads of different sci-fi as well. Yeah. So it, it does make me laugh a little bit when, um, when there are some of these, uh, I mean, I, I've got the, Again, you know, I'm guilty of it. I, I bought into it. Um, I've not got these on on Blu-ray actually, but I did buy the massive ten disc Ultimate uh, Matrix collection when it came out. The one that was in the, uh, the 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 box with the graphics all down it. And um, you know, there are there's something like 35 hours of bonus material on this. Very little of it from the Wachowskis themselves, but there's actually a, uh, a philosophers commentary which i haven't listened to yet i mean i've watched the documentary on it but i haven't actually listened to the commentary but i can imagine that's uh, that's probably quite amusing in places but there's also a by contrast there's a critics commentary as well which i'm sure would be rather interesting um, to listen to at some point when you were talking about you know that these guys well that the Bachowskis, uh you know said that they were responsible for bringing a lot of this stuff when they had borrowed from um other places where do you do you think that has come from what people have written about them or if it's come from them because as you said they don't give many interviews so i don't think that they would be going around bragging you know they're not they're not not tarantino no to be fair to them i'm not sure it has come from them actually i i think it's come from um you know you know film film uh theory studiers and and, and things of that nature and I, I i believe that a lot of it has it's actually been probably written by critics and and and, and you know uh and like trying to sort of be clever or sound clever or whatever but um yeah i i don't know i don't know whether it's come from the the wachowskis themselves or not and and also i'm not disputing that the there are those things there to an extent i just think that a lot of it has been has been read into somewhat it's, it's almost like when we were talking about kubrick and we were talking about the shining and room 237 and how yes. people have gone and they've 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 sort of really read into the work to the to the nth degree um i feel that the matrix trilogy has had that treatment to an extent as well and let's be honest it's not a bad thing i mean that's that's what makes these films yeah. interesting so um i'm yeah. not saying it's right okay. or wrong all right okay i just i didn't think you kind of uh, sort of had finished that point or got that point right. across very well. Okay, I'm glad I'm glad you stopped me then and stopped me from sounding like a complete ass. Yeah, no, no, I mean <laughs> I, I totally respect what they've done. Um, yeah. uh, I'm just I'm just putting a bit of context to what I'm about to say about the Matrix Revolution. So, um... all right, well, let, before, I, I'm going to let you get into the meat of it, but I'm just going to just put say it now and get it out of the way. The reason why the sequels don't work is the fact that there is no threat. The thing is that it, the first one works really well. And why you care for Neo is the fact that he is 
thrown into this world or thrown out of this world and then thrown back in, yeah. you know, <laughs> if you know the story. Uh, but he is at risk. He could die. He could be killed. And then when it came to the sequels, he's Superman. Yes, he has become Superman by that point, yeah. To the point of literally flying, yeah. And so they try to come up with a something to kind of... So instead of coming up with a bigger threat or something or some other twist, they try and talk about like control and they have the whole thing with the Smiths and and it just it, it just doesn't it just sort of kind of falls apart. It, it just and and it really falls apart in the third one because the third one, the beginning seems to be like filler and then we're just waiting for this massive massive battle. And then you just have the showdown at the end. And then you just have all this uh, philosophically weird dialogue in there that just makes no fucking sense at times. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean the whole stuff with the uh, the architect and the oracle, um, you, you know, just, just after a while just does your head in. Wow. No, I think what does my head in, I mean, let's, if, if we just, if we focus just on revolutions, is the fact that the bit where neo's at the tube station yeah and he's speaking to this these two programs who are you know a couple and they're taking their child off to be with the oracle who is the worst child actor ever and why the fuck is she in this film so much i don't know i mean okay i can't it's not her fault but she is very annoying. I I do sometimes think she's just in there so that Hugo Weaving can say, cookies need love too. But this whole talk about, he's sort of saying to him, oh, you know, you've had a child and, you know, love. And he's, he's questioning them, isn't he? And he says, yes, well, I, I believe in karma. Karma is a word. Yes, karma is a word. And... And then he sort of says, I don't, it was, he asks, oh, I didn't think that programs could love. Well, love is a word. You're like, you're sitting there going, what the fuck? Mm. You know, it's just like, and, oh, as, so you have that opening and then you have the whole bit with um, Trinity and Morpheus go to meet the, the Frenchman whose name I can never fucking pronounce. Yeah, I'm always too busy looking at Monica Bellucci at that point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, they, they go off. God, I'm shallow. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So they do like they so they do the like a, a repeat of the uh, shootout scene, the lobby shootout scene in the first Matrix. And then they they, they, not, they, as they well, get to, not as well. No, no, not as well at all. And they get to the Frenchman and the Frenchman says, Oh, I will release him if you give me the Oracle's eyes. And you think, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting. What's the Oracle eyes and what's this thing? And they just completely go, no, fuck that shit. I'm just going to stick a gun to your head and make you give me Neo back. And that just works. And you're like, what What the hell was the point of introducing 
the Oracle's eyes into this. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I mean, I have to say, after six, I watched it all back to back to see how well it all worked. And after six yeah, hours me of the too. Matrix, I was, I was matrixed out. I mean, I, I was like, just give me the fucking blue pill, please. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I just want to be like, Cypher, could you put me back in the machine and just wipe my memory? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, no, I mean, okay, so so uh, the Matrix Revolutions, um, here, here, here's my reasons why I, I just I just found this one in particular to be pants and and really hard work to sit through um you know the 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 second film um i enjoyed to a point in so much as if nothing else at least the uh at least the 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 highway the, the you know the freeway chase was was pretty amazing stuff visually to watch uh even though interestingly yeah. it didn't feature uh, neo at all because he was too busy sort of flying from the other side <laughs> of the world or wherever he'd been dumped well yeah well he just had his set piece before where he the the fight on the stairs which was was, was quite good it as was, well it was but some um, yeah. but you know by the time we got to the third film there was there was very much uh there was sorry there was very little that actually sort of took place in the in the sort of matrix in in sort of the real world in in inverted commas part of the matrix um you, you know and what i found with the film was it was a lot of repetition uh, i mean for, first of all yeah. you definitely cannot watch this film on its own because it picks up pretty much immediately it's almost as if they literally just cut the film in half it picks up yeah. immediately where the second one ended um there's there's no sense of recap whatsoever here. It's just kind of you're thrown straight into it. And I have to say, straight into a rather boring, wordy scene with a load of characters that, you know, you're not that familiar with because, OK, Morpheus is in there. But then you've got all of these other captains, you know, suddenly you've got this much larger ensemble and you've got the fleet uh, of the of you know of the ships at Zion and all this sort of thing and you've got all this talk um you know around this this Bane character as to you know whether or not he sabotaged the uh um you know the ship at the end of the the previous film so you, you're sort of thrown straight into it with you know, I, I mean, I was watching them back to back and even I was playing mm. catch up <laughs> and I'd only just watched it. <laughs> so I was like, uh, OK, so you're so, sort of thrown straight into that. But the other thing is, yeah. in terms of repetition, you, you know, in the in the second film, we we OK, in the first film, we had an amazing fight in the subway between Neo and, and Agent Smith, which was which was, yeah. I thought, really well done. It was, you know, again, using this wire work and, and stunt work in a really imaginative way it was using bullet time to go around the action and you know follow the bullets and 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 yeah it was a really good fight scene and it was you know between it was one-on-one -on -one and it was and it was pretty pretty fun then in the second one we get that awful bloody i found it tedious playground scene with about a thousand oh, yeah uh agent smiths so by the time we got to the third film and it's like oh let's make it different by having it in the rain but i was like oh i so don't care i was so switched off of the of the fighting by that point and um you, you know and, I, and don't get me wrong i love a good screen fight but I, by by this point it was it just kind of felt like 
more of the same and, 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 and quite boring, I have to say. Let's talk about that just for a second. In The Matrix, the fight scenes all had a purpose. There was That was action as storytelling. It was, yeah. So these fights, um, especially the, the fight in the tube station, was it was a moment where, as Morpheus says, he's starting to believe. He's starting to believe that he could be the one. Even though he has been told by the Oracle he isn't the one. Maybe in the next life. Which is, you know, that was the other thing about the first Matrix. Lovely little things that they they say, which you, you think is means one thing, but then turns out to be actually, you know, a sort of heads up of what was going to happen. And so these fights were, you know, they had a purpose. They They forwarded the story. The fights in the sequels really didn't. No, they were just spectacle. Especially the third one. I think in the second one, they they, they, they did kind of work. They kind of were forward in the story. Uh, but they were forward in the story for the, you know, the secondary characters and not for the, the main character. Yeah, like the freeway chase was to get the key maker or whatever his name, whatever he was, uh, away from those... Um from those guys which was fair enough you know um but but yeah i mean you, you know the first film it had a proper beginning middle and end you know you felt like your point earlier you felt that the characters were in jeopardy um you, you, you know and and everything either served the character or served the moving the plot forward so it worked really really tightly and really well but by the time you got to matrix revolutions it was all about spectacle and what we can do and visual effects yeah. and and quite frankly uh was a lot of the same um stuff uh just not as interesting in my opinion and also i don't think the the use of uh cgi characters in it worked either where um neo or agent smith or one of the other characters would be you know replaced by a cgi double because it, it it sticks out like a sore thumb. yeah yeah and it just it it, it 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 takes you out of it which like the first matrix didn't have that you you know you didn't have the because they used it for a lot for the flying scenes and I mean all, you know. also you have you know the other big problem with the third film but by the time you got there is you've got you've got so many now additional characters that um, that suddenly you, you, you know you, or I had I'd lost connection with most of them I mean um, one of the one of the bits of the film that I remember because I'd only seen it the once at the cinema before. Uh, watching it this weekend on on DVD, um, and that says a lot because obviously the the, mm. the previous films I'd, I'd seen multiple times. Uh, even the second one, I think I'd watched a few more times than that. But um, but this, and, and I remember finding it tedious at the cinema, and I found it tedious in this. The whole attack on Zion um, was just for me so much uh, CG and uh, you know just visual visual stimuli i mean it kind of it kind of this this sort of started what the what the later transformers films and avatar and even the last act of man of steel did for me it just it was just all like cgi fights and and you know battles and all this sort of thing and I, i'd really lost connection with it and and wasn't really drawn in at all well yeah but i mean i wouldn't say um 
for me, the the connection was that the characters you were following in the middle of that battle, you didn't care about really. I mean, you were following a young kid and you know, and, and a woman who you kind of met in the the other one, but you know, you there was again stakes. You just didn't have any stakes in these characters. If they had died, it wouldn't have mattered really. You know, and it and there's just yeah you. Know, I mean, I was, I was just so, yeah, you have this massive battle scene in the middle where you have none of the main characters in there. They're not under jeopardy. Yeah. And I also have to, I also have to say the worst death scene ever when Trinity gets taken out. I mean, she's, impe- I mean, it's, it's nasty. You, you see like, like a second of her being impaled and she's just lying there all calm, you know, going, Oh well, you you saved me, and you know, and I'm happy. I loved you. She's giving like this long monologue, and you're thinking, bloody hell, woman, I'd be screaming yeah. <laughs> if I was if I was still alive. I would be. I I think with all those spikes sticking out of me, I'd be dead. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, she has time to you know to do a whole. Speech. It, it just seemed to me that with the other with the with the sequels, you know, they had a chance to, you know, expand out this world even further but you know they do it by showing like a tantric rave scene and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and well this is the thing when when you heard of zion in the uh the, the film in the first matrix you thought wow i would love to see it and then they showed it to you and you were like i wish i hadn't seen it now <laughs> yeah, it kind of, and then the, the the other the other thing i mean i know you said about you know we were talking about hugo weaving and and the fact that he relishes um playing yeah. the bad guy but i mean he relished it a little bit too much uh when he sort of consumed the oracle and then went into this menacing oh. mustache <laughs> and, uh, Dr. Evil style laugh and i was just like oh please come on <laughs> now it was just it was just a bit much so so you, you know this this third film um for me and it was also i have to say i found it anticlimactic i mean i know it had to mm. end i know it had to complete the story uh yeah. etc but um and you know it, it it tried to end it with a ray of hope and all this sort of thing but uh, I, I I don't know. I was kind of lost connection, and um, and of course one of the things, and and again, this is this is very sad. This is no one's fault, but um, mm. you know, you know, in this particular film, they 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 changed the actress because they had to, because sadly the yes, uh, the old lady died. died yeah. And one one of the things they did do is at least they addressed it rather than just left it like loads of films yeah. do. But they almost addressed it a little bit too much. I felt it was kind of yeah. like mentioned in every single yeah. scene, and it was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, we know it's a different actress, but let's move yeah. on from it. I, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about it, and I, I was, uh, how would you have felt if it had turned out that they were still in the Matrix? That like Zion and the outside world was just another Matrix that they had that they were stuck in how would you have felt if that had been what it was all about that they had found out that they were actually still in the machine well the dark character in me would have kind of liked that actually (laughs) i guess i i I don't know i mean i'll be honest um 
by midway through that film, I really don't, you know, I was almost getting to the point where I'm thinking, you know what, it's only the first film that exists in my mind. I just thought they over-diluted it and they kind of ruined it. When they say it was a trilogy, I don't believe it for a second because that first film is a complete film and it should have just been left as that film Mm. because what we could imagine that Neo would have got up to in The Matrix would have been a hell of a lot better than what they actually turned out in the sequels. Yeah. And then the other thing, and I, I mean, we touched on this a little bit when we were having our discussion in the David Toy one about the, the chrono- Chronicles of Ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we, we, we mentioned, we mentioned in how, uh, with that the, the animated bridging film. It didn't really matter if you'd seen it or not. Yeah. But obviously yeah. with this, again, from the same filmmakers, I believe, um, they had the, the Animatrix film. They were different filmmakers, but yes, the animator who who had done um, the Tales of Riddick uh, connecting story and who also was responsible for the original uh, Neon Flux um, uh, cartoons. Yeah. He did he did one of the films. He did the one at the end. Right. Where this is But I mean, yeah, I, I actually went back and I watched the Animatrix and I have to say the Animatrix uh was far more entertaining than these films were, just for the fact that, you know, you had these different points of view and different stories and it was about different characters. But is it right that you're supposed to connect more with the boy if you seen the animatrix yes because i'll be honest i didn't really there was this there's this boy in it that sort of worships neo and believes he's the one and all this sort of stuff uh and they kind of refer to stuff yeah neo keeps telling him that um you know that he got himself out and you see that in the animatrix and you also see um how they got the information about the um, machines digging into zion and uh, you see what happened to to that crew and how they got the uh, information to a drop point. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we also the fact that you had to play the game as well, <laughs> right? Because you know, in the middle of uh, Reloaded, when they're on the the highway and Morpheus falls off the truck, and there is um, oh uh, Jada Smith driving a car, and she catches it. Yeah. Well, the game tells you how they got there, how they got to that point. No, right. And it's like, okay. And also just the, you know, the whole bit at the end where they they have to take out, um, they have to take out the power grid and a backup system. And the bit with Jada Pinkett Smith's character is very short. But in the game, you get to see the whole of that thing. And yeah, it's just... this whole multimedia idea is, is is a is a good idea, but it just doesn't work because at the end of the day, as a film goer, I just want to go and watch the film and enjoy the film. And then if there's this other stuff as well, that's great. But if I have to fully enjoy a film by watching all this other stuff, then then obviously the film doesn't work. Exactly. It's like we said before. It's it's okay if it's there to sort of provide some backstory and flesh out characters or whatever but it, the film must work as a standalone or you know on its own yeah and um, and, and, and you know that, that that's the thing for me that the, the first film is is beautifully written beautifully made and and put together and works really nicely in my opinion these sequels are, are over bloated and um 
you know, it's all about spectacle and they seem to have lost the, the thread of the actual characters and, and story for me personally. As I said, I know there's loads of people that disagree with that and read all sorts of um, uh, things into this. I think a lot of people agree on the fact that the third one was, was the weakest of, of the three films. Mm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like you. I, I just I think I, I like the first film. I've you know i i own that on dvd i don't own the other films on dvd just because um you know I, I just find them a bit tedious and you know not that interesting they don't really you know build upon what they had in the first one well there is a there is a nice blu-ray digi book of the first film that i've kind of got my eye on so i might uh, might treat <laughs> myself to that at some point but uh but yeah, yeah I, I don't really feel the need to buy the uh, the entire trilogy box set on no. Blu-ray because I've got the ultimate edition on DVD. And the, trust me, there's enough material on there that I still haven't watched. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's 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 get out of the the matrix. Yeah, let's let's, <laughs> let's please get out of the matrix. I mean, I'm sure you know. Again, we probably just you know yeah. talked about the tip of the iceberg here but um yeah but yeah ov overall i feel that that's probably well i i would say it's their second worst uh outing but i think you're about to top it <laughs> <laughs> yes we we get ourselves out of the matrix just to go into outer space and go all the way to jupiter mm. so yes my pick is jupiter ascending so after the the high of cloud atlas they followed it up with this film and um i did a podcast with robin clive called the speakeasy where we spoke about uh, our picks for the films that were coming out that summer it was uh, two years ago and originally jupiter ascending was going to be a summer release and then warner brothers put out the news that it was going to be delayed and it was going to come out the following february and we thought oh Okay, so I wonder, you know, your, your first thought is when they say something like that, you think, what's wrong? Yeah. You know, something's obviously, well, something must be wrong. And then the film came out, and if people thought that Cloud Atlas was a mess, then they ain't seen nothing. Yeah. Because Jupiter Ascending is a mess. It's not a glorious mess. It's just a mess. So the story is about this character called Jupiter Jones and she finds out that she is the reincarnation of this um, queen and um, this dynasty that's out in space this family they they own most of the universe and what they do is to uh, they've been living for eons and the way they do this is they they plant human beings onto planets and then when they're mature, they harvest them for their, I guess, DNA or materials. And they use that to uh, rejuvenate themselves, to keep them going. And so it turns out that Jupiter Jones actually owns the Earth, which is ready to be harvested by a very unconvincing uh, bad guy played by... Eddie Redmayne, is it? Yes. Yeah. Who... <laughs> Talks like this a lot. Yes, you wouldn't believe he was an Oscar winner. <laughs> they should hand back my Oscar. You know, he he's kind of trying to do 
don't know. It, it, he looks like Ming the Merciless, but sounds like his very weak brother. And he, he talks a lot like this. And then suddenly I shout for no reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh, so, yeah, you've got him. <laughs> uh, you've got Channon Tating, who plays a dog man with uh, jet boots, which, you know, the jet boots are pretty cool. And, uh, you know, uh, he, he does a lot of flying about. And uh, which is a good thing because Jupiter Jones seems to fall down a hell of a lot. It's, uh, I think the main problem with the story is the fact that you have a main character who doesn't change much. Mm-hmm. Throughout it, she is mostly a damsel in distress that Channing Tatum's character has to come and rescue her every time. And you have has to rescue her from her children, <laughs> her two sons and one daughter. And one of the sons tries to marry her and then so that he can inherit the earth. And uh, the other son, played by Eddie Redmayne, he just wants to threaten her a lot. (laughs) You know, kidnaps her human family and uh, threatens to kill them if she doesn't hand over ownership of the, the earth. So you, you so you have this kind of like dynasty that rules the galaxy or the universe or whatever. And they you have all these sort of different races, yet there's such a, a weird mix and they never quite gel. They don't they feel like they've just grabbed things from different films and thrown them in there. Mm-hmm. So you have like you have like the gray aliens that you would see from like alien abduction films and then you've got characters that look like they're from Star Wars. I mean, especially the pilot that's an elephant that's part human, part elephant, which, but then you don't really see him until the end. You think, oh, that's an interesting character. Why have I not seen him before? You know, uh, you got Sean Bean where, spoiler, doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a joke that every time um, Sharp survive, a Sean Bean character dies. <laughs> well, they must have caught up now because in this one, Sean Bean's character doesn't die. Uh, and he is, uh, he's part B. God, yeah, don't get me started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will get you started. I will. <laughs> I hear that's what people love when they when you start, you get going. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so you have these, um, I, I wouldn't say adventures, but um, a series of events that lead her to back to where she starts, really. I mean, it just ends with her, where she started as somebody who's on the you know they're cleaning toilets and you know cleaning houses to you know she may own the, the earth but uh, she's still doing it she's still this sort of lowly old me and all that she's learned now is that um you know that uh, her life was good to start off with a life of servitude was you know was good instead of being the owner of everything so um yeah. <laughs> so what do you well, think, Keith? Okay, sorry, listeners. I'm not going to disagree with Simon on this one. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even bother re-watching it for, for this podcast. <laughs> uh, I only saw this, I didn't see it when it came out of the cinema. Um, I only saw this uh, late last year. Basically, I bought my good friend Alex, um, 
I bought him, he's really into sci-fi, so I bought him a few yeah. sci-fi Blu-rays for his birthday. And this was one of the titles amongst it because I didn't really know much about it. I knew he hadn't seen it, so I, I bought it. And I remember one time I was around there, I think we were working on some pre-production for the for the film we made. And um, we took a break from it and uh, he said, oh, shall we watch a movie? And uh, uh, chose to put this on. And um, yeah, I, you know, everybody knows how sort of forgiving I tend to be. Um, yes. Generally. But no, this this was this was a mess. I mean, this was awful. I didn't have anything good to say about this. Uh despite the fact that there's some good people involved. But um, yeah, I just felt, I felt it, nothing connected together at all. Um, you, you did, you had all these different designs and different things that didn't seem to, to gel. Uh, it, tonally, it didn't seem to make sense either because that was always sort of shifting, uh, but not in a good way, like with um, with Cloud Atlas, where where it made sense for different segments of the story yeah. and time. This was just with within the film. Uh, I didn't care about any of anyone in it at all. And um, obviously, uh, yeah, I mean Eddie Redmayne, who had you know that year uh, won the Academy Award and rightly so for portraying uh, St Stephen Hawking in um, Theory of Everything. Uh, this was the next thing I saw him in. And oh, my God, it was the hammiest, moustache twirling performance I've ever seen. And it was dreadful. To be honest, um, I probably should have watched it to give it, you know, more of a critique on this. But I because I found it very forgettable. So I don't remember a lot about it. The only things I remember was it was bad. None of it made any sense to me. I had real problems with the characters. Firstly, accepting stuff straight away. I mean, uh, Mila Kunis's character, um, you, you know, from from a sort of everyday thing to find all of it, or everyday life to find all of this out. She kind of accepted everything pretty pretty damn quickly, I thought. And um, you, you, you know, none of it, none of it really made any sense. Uh, no, nothing in it gelled together. I mean, you, you know, there was some good design work on it. Some of the world building was 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 pretty impressive. Um, I know Michael Giacchino did the score for it, and I think if memory serves, I know they usually use Don Davis, but um, they used him for this. And if memory served, the the score was okay and stuff, but no, the, the, the story and the characters and just, just the whole thing just felt like a complete mess. And I was like, what, what a come down from the people that had made these, you know, fantastic films like the matrix and bound and cloud Atlas to, to, to this, frankly, um, I hadn't seen speed racer either, but I've heard people say that's also a, a terrible mess, but I hadn't actually seen that. So I couldn't really comment. I remember when the the trailers came out for it, and I thought, "Wow, this is just, it." Just looks so colourful, and it, it did look like a cartoon come to life. And uh, you know, so I, I I did I did see that when it came out on DVD, and um, I enjoyed it. I mean, I can see why people don't like it, but you know, I I enjoyed it. Yeah, and that's the fact that I'm a fan of V for Vendetta, which is another film that a lot of people don't like. But yeah, this one. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I wish I could say more about it, but I don't remember. The, the fact that it was that forgettable speaks volumes to me. I mean, yeah. nowadays, I watch so many movies that unless something 
absolutely moves me in some way, whether whether I think it's it's visually exciting or or I love the characters or whatever, then I'll then I'll remember something. But this, other than remembering that Eddie Redmayne churns out a terrible performance, um, <laughs> which is unlike him, you know. Um, you, you know, I, I I don't know anything. A bit of trivia, apparently. Um, uh, he obviously the next film that he did was the uh, the the Danish Girl, and um, yeah, apparently, you, you know, obviously he plays a a, a transgender um, character in that, and uh, apparently he 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 he's always complimented that he got a lot of advice from from uh, Lana Wachowski on that. So, which which yeah. helped with his performance etc in that film but but obviously not in this one um so uh so yeah i i don't know i don't remember much about it it was just for me it just didn't work on any level and it was it was i, I hate to say it, it was like a lot of you know I'm, I'm i'm worried i'm starting to sound like an old fart here now but it's like a lot of movies lately that just seem to be all about visual spectacle but but at the cost of of plot and character and and you yeah. know plot and character should come first and foremost and obviously visuals are incredibly important in film of course but you know there's just so many things now that's just like a sort of um explosion for your eyes with visuals but you know nothing sort of tacks together and you and i feel personally remote emotionally removed from it straight away so therefore what is the point because you know the whole point of 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 watching movies and you know is to escape and go on a journey and be emotionally satisfied sort of taking that point then i think what i would like to have seen is that journey taken from jupiter jones point of view yeah because what happens throughout the film is that we are shown events that are help happening elsewhere, especially with Freddie Edman. <laughs> <sighs> this is such a bore. Uh, I mean, the the thing is, so she it should have just been with her all the time. So you're introduced to this world through her through eyes, through her eyes, yeah. yeah, and not knowing any of these other events that are taking place, you know, and this exactly it's structurally flawed yeah. from the start, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It's just like a you know, a spectacle for spectacle, you know, spectacle sake. Yeah. I mean, the bit where they're flying through, um, I think it's Chicago where it's you know supposed to take place or whatever American city is, and they're doing massive destruction, and they're like, and then afterwards, uh, when they're driving away, it's like, oh, won't anybody notice? And it's like, well, no, because they'll come in and repair the whole thing, and. It, it, that should have been like a mind-blowing thing but with seeing everything else that was going on you're like well no actually i'm yeah whatever <laughs> you know it just made you go Pfft. and then it's never mentioned again yeah no absolutely so, it's, it's just kind yeah, of it's yeah i mean you you said it earlier and i agree entirely with you on this um you know the wachowskis when when they when they do something good you know it is really good it's right up there but when when they don't it's you know there doesn't seem to be any middle ground with these guys they're either um you know really really good or or, or poor and um th yeah. this this falls into the, the the poorest of the poor i would say <laughs> by, <laughs> by a long way i mean even more so than the matrix sequels and uh obviously we've already ragged on those big time but uh um 
yeah yeah this this was this was very disappointing disappointing from a point of view that it, it, it if it had been better and it had made more money then there would have been a chance that we would see more original material coming out of hollywood instead of more superhero films or films that have a recognable recognizable ip mm-hmm. and unfortunately now studios can turn around to somebody who have a a similar idea for an epic space adventure and say well look this film didn't do well and john carter didn't do well so why should we put the money into this you know we we talk about this a lot about the fact that uh hollywood doesn't want to take any risks and with every kind of financial flop that happens you know or you know bad storytelling it's you know but then saying that you have a film like batman v superman which is also a mess yet you know it made a lot of money but certainly on its opening weekend yes so you know expect more of that folks because you know if everybody turns up to see it it doesn't matter it's good or bad but it's just a shame that with you know this was an original project that somebody like the wachowskis could bring because of you know of what of the success they had with the matrix and so it's going to get hard for it for people like them to get the money to make original stuff let alone any other filmmaker so you know it's it's just a shame that it was a mess and i mean and also i don't know you know what happened to make them delay the release that they saw it and went oh my god this is terrible we have to do reshoots or <laughs> was it the effects or was it the studio turned around and said well we don't like this you know i think we need this this and this so yeah who knows what interference I don't know. I, i'm not too sure yeah. i mean I- interestingly looking at you know the wachowskis have done what well what many filmmakers are now moving to it seems that since then they've moved into and I, i've not seen any of these but they they now have a a television series that they produce called Sense Eight. Yes, yeah. Which uh, I'll be honest, I've I've not seen this, so I don't really know. I've not seen it. Either. It's, it's partly them and partly the guy that created Babylon Five, I believe, are the uh, are the creators behind the show. Um, but I don't know too much about it other than that. Uh, so uh, they've moved into the yeah. realms of television. So yeah. It's not what it's saying here. It's just it's got the Wachowskis as the creators and of it. J. Michael Strick. Oh, as 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 writing, yeah. Okay, he's a writer on it. Yeah, but they they've directed episodes as well as James McTeague and Tom Tyker. Mm-hmm. So they're using so, their uh, their yeah other collaborators. But yeah, I, I don't know much about the show. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm not sure what it's about. Uh, well, it's I know it's about a group of people that um, have the ability to connect to each other no matter where they are in the world and use what their ever sort of abilities and stuff that they have. So Okay. Um, that's, that's sort of what I know. A bit of an ongoing theme. Yeah, but I mean, they, they've got actors from Cloud Atlas and... Um, and also uh, Jupiter Ascending in there as well. And I have to say, uh, just going back to Jupiter Ascending, it was a shame to see some of the actors from uh, Cloud Atlas in there being wasted. Oh, well, like James Darcy and whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Duna Bay. Yeah. Who was in, you know, in such a f- 
kind of forgettable role, really. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree, particularly after, you know, really, really uh, good performances in Cloud Atlas. So, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, um, all in all, you know, good on the Wachowskis. I mean, we call it movie heaven, movie hell. We have to, you know, say the the good with the bad. But um, yes, but but, yeah. but you know, I I do consider them a a competent pair of uh, or a competent team of of, of filmmakers. And um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, you know, in most cases, like their work. Mm. We hope there's more to come. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there will be. I'm sure there will be. Otherwise, it's a, a very dark world we live in if not even the Wachowskis can get films made. Yes. Anyway, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, so we are going to finish on our customary manner, and that is to ask Keith, where can we find your work? Okay, if you'd like to see some of the uh, short independent films that I've made, uh, you can go to YouTube and put in British Isles. That's E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name. And uh, the films are there for you to watch. And you can find my work, as always, at independentrunnings.com. Uh, you can uh, listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and YouTube. And uh, also, we're on uh, Player FM now. Oh, wow. Seems we've, we've been listed in the uh, top uh, podcasts for filmmaking. So you can listen to us there. Wow. Now. Praise indeed. There you go. Indeed. <laughs> uh, also, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search uh, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, please do leave us a review and a rating. And check out some of those earlier episodes, folks. Well, you know, you've got a year's worth of episodes now to listen Blimey. to. Blimey. <laughs> so, uh, just a bit of a heads up for uh, next week's episode. Um, as you may know, it's going to be Alien Day next week uh the uh 26th of the fourth or if you're american the fourth the 426 as in lv <laughs> yeah uh so we're going to be joining in the celebrations and we're going to be doing our alien day special so please join us for that see you there